Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is the story of America's bloodiest prison, told by the people who lived it, both inside and outside its gates. The brutal history, as you've never heard it before, from its origin as a slave plantation to its gradual growth as the bloodiest maximum security prison in America. To those outside its gates, is known as Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola. But to those who have spent time inside its gates, it's known as Bloody Angola. Come with us as we take you through the gates and give you a first-hand look at not only the stories of the stabbings, rapes, executions, escapes, and murders you won't find on any TV show or the internet, but also the murders, abductions, attacks, and hostage situations of the staff and their families, otherwise known by the convicts as free people. Bloody Angola is a comprehensive, no-hold-barred podcast. It takes you on a journey through time, from its inception as a slave plantation to America's largest maximum security prison, where 80% of its population will die inside the wire. Get mentally prepared. Sit back and listen as we cover these stories in detail. In ways you've never heard before from people that lived it, breathed it, and died with it. Bloody Angola. Warning. Bloody Angola is a podcast covering actual events and is intended for mature audiences. The subject matter discussed in no way reflects the personal opinions of the host or sponsors of this podcast. Thank you. Today's case, I told y'all, um, first of all, let me back up again. Hope everybody's staying safe. Y'all stay well. I've been on the road the last couple of weeks, and, and you know, it's challenging. 
social distancing and all that, but um, hopefully businesses start opening back up and, and people start making a living again. But y'all stay safe and my prayers are for you. All right, so I told y'all the last episode I did um, was I Shot That Man. Now, I told you at the end of that episode, I bet you a million dollars that you couldn't figure out how it was going to tie into this episode. Now, this episode may have to be two parts because it's a crazy-ass story, and it's got a lot of twists and turns to it. But you still will not be able to figure out how it ties into I Shot This Man. Now, if it goes into two parts, I don't know because um, I'm just going to roll with it and see how long it plays out. But I guarantee you won't be able to figure it out. But it ties in that I shot this man, and it's significant, okay? So the name of the episode will be False Positive. False Positive. That's what I'm going to go with. That's what just popped in my mind. All right. So December, I think it was 2006, I was working as a detective with Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office, and um, I think it was December 27th. Yeah, I was on, on the 27th. I got a, a call from another detective. It was late in the evening. I think they might have paged me out for it. They called and said, hey, man, we need your help on a polygraph. And I said, okay, what's up? And, and they said that they had um, a female that they needed tested, and they explained when I got, got to my office. So I drove in. I had a little separate office downstairs away from the, uh, the tech, where the tech's office was at that time. And But that office used to be when Stan Carpenter was chief of narcotics, that was the narcotics office. So it was down this little stairwell, halfway down the stairwell, tucked in the side. It, it, it used to be the entrance to the old jail in the Livingston Parish Courthouse. So anyway, I, I go to my office, and then, um, I meet with some detectives and some federal agents. And they, they come in, and they tell me that they had a bank robbery that morning I mean, you know what? I'm not going to say the victim's name. I'm not going to say the name of the bank. And I'm not even going to say the name of the town. And I'm not going to say the victim's name because she doesn't need to be traumatized again. But I guess y'all figure it out later on. So it doesn't matter. But anyway, they, they told me there was a bank robbery that morning that three subjects had entered the bank before it opened with keys and a passcode to rob the bank. Now, they got the keys and the passcode and this passcode for the vault. Now, listen, I'm not a technical bank guy, right? I've worked a couple of bank robberies in my career, but when it comes down to it, usually back, especially back then, the feds worked it, but the agents told me that they did not believe oh, what it was that they had a teller who worked at the bank who said she was kidnapped the night before that at her house and that these people held her overnight and, uh, and threatened to hurt her family and everything if she resists or tried to get away, et cetera. And uh, they took her to the bank that morning, and they went in. They, you, uh, the bad guys went in. They left her in the car, and she's duct taped and blindfolded, et cetera, and that they got away with an undisclosed amount of money, but then they threw her out uh, at some park, nearby and she was able to find a phone to call 911. So she calls 911, she tells them the story. Well they they go into the bank and they process of course they have video and these guys made entry into the vault, right? For 
bear with me on this because I'm technically it's probably not correct, but it's it's how I remember in my head. From what they told me, they said the Fed said that there's no way that they being the bad guys could have got into the vault of the bank if unless the teller, the alleged victim, uh, had not pressed some extended time lock on the vault when she closed it the night before. Okay, so I asked them about that, and they said there's a certain thing that she has to do, and uh, if she does that, the vault will not, even doesn't matter who has the codes or keys or whatever the hell they use for vaults, the vault will not open. All right, and they said uh, that the bad guys were able, they believe, the feds believe the bad guys were able to make access into the vault because this teller had, or manager, whatever she was, had intentionally not pressed this extended lock. And I don't know what they call it, y'all, but the uh, the extended thing. And that's the only way. So they were suspect that she was lying. They thought that she, she was part of it. Because um, otherwise, it, it doesn't matter if they had her keys and passcodes or whatever the hell they used. They couldn't have got in had she not pressed this button. So they thought she was lying. They thought she was she was a participant to the level that um, she didn't press the button intentionally, and that she probably planned it out with them, and they kicked her out of it, and she was going to get a cutback or whatever. I said, oh, so basically. You want me to polygraph her about her involvement in this bank robbery? And they said, yeah. So they bring her in. I meet her. She's a nice young lady. And the first thing I notice about her, she's probably, I guess, late 20s. Um, uh, she looked like hell. I mean, not that she wasn't ugly, but she just looked like she had red eyes. Now, remember, this is in the evening on the 27th, Okay. She had red eyes. Uh, um, she'd been crying. Uh, you could tell her face was swollen. And so I bring her in, and, and I separate myself from them. They've been questioning her all day and dealing with her, et cetera. So the first thing you want to do in the polygraph process is, like I told you all before, establish that relationship. And so what I do, I bring her in separate from them, shut the door, and, and sit her down, and I introduce myself. Hey, I'm Woody Overton. I understand you've been through a traumatic experience. And she said, but they don't believe me. And, and I said, it's, it's okay. I said, I said, I, I believe you. And I said, but we got to get into the details of the whole thing, sweetie. I said, I'm going to walk you through it. But I want you to understand, I don't work for the feds. And I, I don't care what they say. Uh, but on this test today, I need you to be 100% honest with me. This is not grade school where you get a gold star for 99%. Today, I'm going to get you through this process. But when I ask you the questions, I need you to be 100% honest with me. And I'm going to believe you. Everything you say, and and less when we get done with the test and I score it, you have a problem with one or more of the questions. And I said, and then we'll talk about it and we can work it out. And so it took me a while. I'm paraphrasing, right? And, uh, this is over a period of time. And I got her some water. And then we go through the legal forms, the actually Miranda right forms and a consent to question form, but then you have polygraph rights. So she had to um, voluntarily consent to the polygraph. It's, it's a whole shitload of paperwork you have to go through. And meanwhile, the whole time we're going through it, I mean, I'm really 
establishing my connection with her, using my people skills, right? And and I'm real gentle with her and and uh, and everything. And then we get into the medical questions for me to determine whether or not she's mentally and physically fit to take the test, et cetera. And one of the medical questions is, when was the last time you slept? And, or, or how much sleep did you get last night? She says, shit, I hadn't slept in two days. And that threw a pause for me as an examiner. Because, I mean, tiredness can have an effect on the outcome of the test. It really can. And uh, I said, okay, I understand um, you haven't slept in two days. I said, but do you think you get through another hour and a half to three hours? She said, I've been getting through it this long that I just want this shit over with. I'm telling the truth. And um, she said, I want to take this polygraph. I want, I want you to prove me innocent so we can move on, you know? And, and I said, okay, all right. And so I probably against my better judgment, I, I mean, I did want to stop it at this point when I already had the connection established with her, et cetera, and send her home for a night's sleep. The feds would have been pissed. My bosses would have been pissed and everything. And I'm like, I think she can get there, right? She's caught, she's not nodding off and uh, um, while I'm talking to her or anything like that. And so we get through the medical stuff. I clear on the medical stuff. And then we get into what happened. I said, okay, now listen, I know you told your story. And I know you told it to the feds. And, and I know you told it to all the local cops, et cetera. I said, and I know you probably don't want to talk about it again. I know it's traumatic for you. I said, but you have to act like I don't know anything. Tell me everything that happened from beginning to end. And I said that, you know, it's really beneficial for you because all these other people have been questioning you. They were the, the, you gave your statement in the beginning and then they come back and they say whatever. And then, you know, when you focus on being on the defensive with them, when they're coming back at you with the questions, you might have missed out on some thoughts and th- things that you could remember as a witness to the crime. Meaning that if, you know, like an old Cajun man told me one time, he said, you want to stop somebody from messing with you, you grab a hand of fire ants and you throw it on them. Then they're too busy dusting the fire ants off themselves to be worried about you. I said, so all this time that you've been getting questioned by the feds, et cetera, you really hadn't been thinking about what part, what happened during the crime. You've been thinking about defending yourself. She said, you're right. And, and I said, so look, Let's just take the time. And I said, I'm going to interrupt you and ask a lot of questions, but I need you to start from the beginning and we'll get through it. And this is what she said. She said on December 26th, the night before she had got off, uh, she closed the bank and I'm not going to say the town yet. We'll figure that out as we go. She closed the bank and she drove home and she lived on highway 43 in Albany, Louisiana. Now highway 43 is the easternmost highway that runs north and south in Livingston Parish. It's, it's Albany is, is right there. Uh, highway 190 that runs east to west actually crosses in Tangipo Parish, right? And she worked a couple towns over. No big deal. But so she lived on uh, she said she drove home from the bank and when she pulled into her driveway she drove a 1999 Toyota Camry I think. Um, she pulled into her driveway. She lived by herself she gets out of her car and she goes to gets to her door and she unlocking the door. And when she, as she's unlocking the door, some people bum rushed her from behind and literally put a gun on her, grabbed her from behind, grabbed her around the neck, shoved her into her house and, and, and telling her, you know, bitch, don't you move. We're going to kill you. 
uh, et cetera. And they immediately started duct taping her up. Uh, they, uh, put, they duct tape her hands. They um, uh, put some type of mask over and uh, over her face and, and stuff. And they and told her that they were going to use her. They were going to keep her overnight and they were going to use her to rob the bank in the morning. They were going to use her passcodes and her uh, her keys and whatever, y'all, whatever it was. So, and so they took her. She said they took her. They drug her out of the house. She said she's scared to death. She almost wet herself. And they, they're telling you, you do anything. You try to escape. You try to uh, run, call for help, anything like that. We're going to kill your family members. We know where they live. We know who you are. We know where they live. And she said that they put her in a car with three people in Two of them were males, and, and she later, she thought all three of them were males at first, but two of them were males, and one of them ended up being a female. And um, But they weren't talking. Uh, the, the female wasn't talking, and, and I'll explain that later on. But also, they took the keys to her car and stole her car also, so they meant there was a fourth person involved. And she said they drove for a ways. She couldn't see because she was blindfolded, etc. And then they went down some gravel road. I mean, she could hear the gravel crunching under the tires of the car. And then they parked and they got out. She heard some dogs barking, but she knew it was in the country. And she couldn't see any street lights through whatever the pillowcase or whatever they had on her head. And they brought her in this house and sat her down on the couch. Now, this is like 8.30 p.m. on the 26th. And they told her. And they, uh, one of them was talking to her, and, and the female didn't talk at this point. You know, they said, again, we're going to kill you. Uh, if you do anything, all you have to do is comply. And you were going to the bank in your car in the morning, and we're going to use your, we're going to use your keys and your passcodes, et cetera, to enter the safe. And she said that's what happened. She says she spent the most terrifying night of her life locked up there. She said they didn't mistreat her. They didn't beat on her. I asked her, you know, I said, uh, did they sexually assault you? or violate you in any, any way. And she's like, no, 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 no. And she said, um, she said, I just remember something. That's why she said, I did go to the bathroom at one point in the middle of the night. Um, she said, we we're up all night. They kept me up. And she said, I have to go to the bathroom. And uh, she said, one of them took me to the bathroom and I was still taped and, uh, and still had the thing on my head. She said, but that's when I first time I realized it was a female involved because the girl was undoing her pants and pulling them down for her to sit on the toilet. And the girl said something about her pants. I don't remember what it was. And she said, then it clicks in her head. My God, there's a female in this too. She thought it was only guys at this point. So she said, yeah, I mean, she said they didn't do anything like that. Woody, she said, they, you know, just kept me there and, and, uh, they didn't do a lot of talking, et cetera. Um, and she said the next morning we went, well, she said, I assumed it was morning. She said, but they loaded me up after what seemed like an attorney. Actually, it had been all night. They loaded me up in my car. And she said, I know my and what the inside of my car feels like. And we drove and drove and drove. She said, so I know we were, we were farther away than Albany from the bank. She said, I knew, because I know how long it takes for me to get to work every day, right? She said, and we get to the bank, and 
I didn't have to go inside. She said they had asked me, uh, one of the males had asked me about my keys and the code, and I told them. And she said, and they went in and got whatever they got, and then they they pushed me out uh, at that park. And she said I was able to get the, the cover off my head, and I found somebody that had a cell phone, and I called 911. Okay, so... Then I started digging into the facts of the case, right? And I was correct. She started remembering things when I wasn't challenging her. She started remembering things about what had happened. And so I go, I go back and I walk her through the first step. I said, hey, and they come up behind you and you're going in your house, et cetera, et cetera. She started remembering things and because I'm taking her back. I'm walking her through it step by step. Um, I'm talking about, you know, the, the duct taping and, and what does she see before the duct taping? And I said, you know, I know it happened so fast, sweetie, but, you know, think about it now. Just take your time. You're not under any threat. Nobody can harm you. You're safe now. You're with me. Tell them, you know, just try to really picture it in your mind. And she said, holy shit. And I said, what? She said, I know. Oh, they had... Uh, supposedly had mask on that uh that's what she had said they they were masked up she said but you know what, what she said one of them had a mask on but like big eye holes she said i know who it is woody i know who it is and i'm like okay shit here we go and it's just about to get real i said i said who is it and she said his name and i'm not gonna say it yet because this is obviously gonna run into a two-part episode um she told me it was, and I said, well, how do you know him? She said, I went to high school with him. I graduated with him. I went to school with him. I've known him my whole life. She said, I don't know why I didn't remember before. She said, and I said, are you sure? She said, I am positive. And she said, I, I heard his voice at one point, too. She said, I guess I was so scared that I didn't focus in on it. And I was like, okay. So she gave me uh, the guy's name, and she said, I swear to you. I said, okay, would you be able to pick him out of a photo lineup or what we call a six-pack, y'all? And she said, yes. And so I stopped the, the polygraph process then, and I went out to the uh, the powers that be, the feds and whomever, and I said, listen. She said she just remembered who one of the suspects is and is able to identify him from his facial features of, uh, in the short time she saw. And they were like, oh, she didn't tell us that. I said, I'm telling you. But she told me, and, the, and his name is this. And she grew up with him and went to high school with him, graduated with him, and she can pick him out of a six-pack. And so they are like, well, you know, keep proceeding with the polygraph. We need to know because we still think she might have involvement. So I'm going to do that anyway. And But you need to go get a six-pack, right? And, and so, y'all, the six-pack, um, the Louisiana State Police, that when, when they make the six packs, they're so good. They take a computer program and they run uh, the. You get first of all, you run this person's criminal history, and in you get their mugshot or or their driver's license photo, whatever it is that's on file. Then that Louisiana State Police computer scans through a, a million or however many photos they have, a driver's license photos or uh, photos with the same background, et cetera the people of the same race, uh, and they look, you know, I'm telling you, I've seen some where I knew who the bad guy was, and I couldn't pick them out. That's how good these these photos are that, that resemble these people. So it's not like in the old days when we used to 
you know, you could put some in that didn't have any anything to look at. Uh, it's not like when they brought him in for a live lineup, and one guy's six foot six, and one guy's five foot nine, and one guy you know has blonde hair and one has brown. Whatever this this is legit. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seen more health issues with the dog's joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do this same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Now, my dog, Phoebe, is the queen of our house, and I can tell you that her health is extremely important to us. She is a part of our family. I watched the video, y'all, and I was amazed by the things I didn't know that could impact your dog's health. This 20-minute video is packed full of tips that I've already started with my dog, Phoebe. I'm noticing more energy, healthier skin and coat. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash bloodyangola. And watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B A D L A N D S F O O D dot com slash bloody Angola. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So they go to do that. I go back for the polygraph. Now I go in and we'll go through her whole story again. And she was able to remember some more details and she kept coming back to her classmates. She said, God, I can't believe he would do that to me. And, and, and et cetera, et cetera. I said, but I, I told her, I said, look, I'm very glad that you remember that detail, but we still need to get this polygraph out of the way. I said, when I give you them, my stamp of approval that you didn't do this bank robbery, then it'll be over for you and you'll be treated like the victim that you should be treated. She said, but they've been treating me like a suspect the whole day. I said, I know, sweetie, but I'm going to get you through it. So to sum it up on it, the questions, the relevant questions I asked, it was real simple. It was three questions. I asked, did you plan with anyone to rob the bank, right? If what the feds were saying is true, then she would have had to scheme this, right, and get these other people. There were definitely three people that went into the bank that wasn't her, that used her, her codes and stuff, right? So she, well, I know she didn't go in the bank and actually rob it. And she, her answer was absolutely emphatically no. And I said, did you plan uh, with those those people, those people being the bad guys, that, did you plan with those people to rob the bank this morning? So and. Just a continuation of question one. And she says, no, emphatically, right? 
But then the catch-all question I, I, I want, want to ask her is, did you participate in any way in the robbing of that bank? And that bank is clearly defined as the bank. I told her, I said, I don't care if you've been robbing banks the rest of your entire life. I'm only talking about the bank that you work with, that the three subjects are seen going in on camera uh, on the morning of December 27th. She said, no. I said, okay, well, then we got to talk about that. I said, because the feds are telling me that the only way they could gain access to the vault is because you, when you shut the vault last night, didn't press some extended time lock thing. She said, oh, no. She said, I pressed it. Uh, I pressed it. I, I know I did. And um, I'm like, are you sure? She said, yeah. And, I, and this was probably a screw-up on my part, y'all. The, and I just really, that, really that, that could have been the only relevant question on the test. Um, but so I just want to really make clear. I said, listen. Again, I'm telling you, they said they have some way of checking uh, and, and that they couldn't have got into the vault had you pressed the extended time lock. She said, Woody, I'm telling you, she said, I mean, she said, I may be crazy. She said, but I'm telling you, I pressed, I pressed that lock or whatever it was. I, I did that switch thing. And, and I said, so one participation month ago question is, did you participate in any way in the robbing the bank? I said, I'm not talking about you being the victim of kidnapping, et cetera. I'm talking about you plan with these people to do it. You gave them the keys to do it. Um, you did not press whatever that switch is that, so they couldn't open the vault after business hours, or whatever. And, and then you didn't get any money off of it or anything like that. She said, no, I did not. So we go to run the test and I do a little practice test ahead of time where I have them I attach them to the instrument and I have them lie to me on one out of eight questions. And I don't know the answer to the question. Um, and at the end of that test, I tell them what it is that they lied about. And it's a little bitty small lie that she's not going to get in trouble about, but I got her question. Right. And when I do that, she's like, her eyes go big. She's like, Oh snap. I'm like, right. If, if I can catch you on a little bitty lie, what's it going to look like to you? on my charts if you lie to me about something that's important to you, but like the, participating in this bank robbery by not pressing that extended lock, it's going to be, your action is going to be much stronger. So then we get straight into the main test, which under Louisiana law for it to be valid, we have to do it at least two separate times, but usually you do it three or four, just depending uh, um, on how it goes. She's attached to an instrument. It's right after the practice test. We get into it. So the first question is something like, are you now in the state of Louisiana? Yes. Second question, regarding um, the bank robbery, do you intend to answer all questions truthfully? Yes. The third question is a, is a control. doesn't matter. The, um, the next one is the question, did you plan to rob that bank? No. Did you plan to rob that bank uh, this morning? No. Did you participate in any way in the robbing of that bank? Remember, I hounded her because the feds hounded me on the one particular question they wanted about the lock. She said no. Immediately, I knew she she was showing deception indicated on that one question. Okay, but I, I tell them. 
but before the test starts, I said, look, you, know, you have to sit still, don't move. The, 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 there's 25 seconds between each question. I'll ask the question, you, you'll respond, then it'll be 25 seconds to the next question. The test itself, y'all, is very short. It only takes a couple minutes, right? And so we get to the first chart. We get done. But I tell them, so don't look at me. Don't pay attention to me. I'm not scoring this as going along or anything like that. All I'm doing is uh, simply keeping things straight and making sure you're not trying to cheat me or beat me, et cetera. So when, when it's, the test's over, I say the test is now complete. Uh, please remain still for 10 seconds. And then I turn off that first chart. And then I tell her, say, hey, you can move around or whatever if you need to for a minute. I'm going to let your arm rest because it has a blood pressure cuff on it. Um, I said, but don't ask me anything. I said, and, and uh, again, I'm not scoring as it goes along. I, I do that mainly, y'all, so they're not sitting there watching me. If I have to, if I make a facial motion or something, then I, they don't get freaked out thinking I think they're guilty or, or whatever. So we get through the first chart, go give her a little break, get into the second one, ask the same questions. And again, on the participation question, she had a problem with it. I don't tell her anything yet, right? To stop, take the break, do it again. I think I think I did it like four times, and every single time she had a problem on the participation question. Now, we got done. I untouched the instrument from her and everything, and I always tell them I don't score it as it's going along, but I've done so many tests that I can do the math in my head as it goes along. And what bothered me about it was, she passed flying colors about planning to rob the bank and planning to rob the bank that morning. Right. But she had an issue with their participation. And, the, and so the post-test interview is what they call it. Basically an interrogation. I told us to look sweetie. I believe everything you're saying. I said, but we got an issue. And she's like, what, what, and what is it? Woody? And I said, when I asked you this question, the participation question, I said, your, your body showed deception indicated. Your physiological responses to the question were negative. And she said, she's like, I don't know why, I don't know why. And I said, well, let's talk about it, you know. And then um, she said, I don't, why are we even talking about it? I'm telling you who it is that kidnapped me. And she said, they can go get them. I said, we're working on that. But the, that I need to be able to go out there and explain to these guys why you had a problem with participation question. And she was adamant. And then I said, but, but did you not press the lock, sweetie? She said, I'm telling you, I, if I didn't press it, she said, it would be the first time ever. She said, I don't even know what they're telling you about. She said, because the time frame would have been passed on that. She said, I was thinking about that when you were asking me the question. The time frame would have been passed on that where it wouldn't have mattered anyway. Uh, she said, so I don't know where these federal agents are getting their information from. She said, I was thinking about that. And she said, but obviously they couldn't have gotten in the vault. And, and I understand that it looks bad on me if they're saying that it happened before the time frame. And then I started thinking, I mean, this girl looks like hell. I mean, she's been up. Let's see. She worked the whole day before. She gets up at like six o'clock in the morning. So she worked all the day of the 26th. She gets kidnapped at gunpoint, held hostage, duct taped up all night long. Uh, into the early morning hours of 27. Then she reports frantically her, the, the crime that's been committed against her. And at first, uh, 
didn't take them long to start looking at her as a suspect. So they hounded her ass all day long. So she's been over, what, 24, 48 hours, probably by the time she gets to me. And I started thinking, damn it, I shouldn't have run her. No, that, that could have been one of the problems, right? She's tired. But then I really started thinking about the Fed swearing up and down. She didn't press this damn lock. So I just told her, I said, you know what? Chill out. And, and, um, and I got her another water. And I said, just sit tight. I'm going to go see where we're at on, on the investigation of, of the guy that you ID'd. And so I go out. And I think that, and then look, I work for the feds a lot. And, and I, I love them all. And, uh, but uh, there's always a little bit of a pissing contest between the feds and the local authorities and the state authorities. And it just, it's just maybe too many alpha males or whatever, but go out there and with these guys to listen, she had an issue on the participation question. And that was question was defined mainly. Um, and I hounded on and I shouldn't have uh, by y'all telling me that she didn't press this extended time lock. And, and the agent was all cocky with himself. He's like, yeah, well, she didn't do it. She didn't do it. I said, show me that she didn't do it. And he said, what do you mean? I said, show me that she didn't do it. And I said, I don't believe that. I mean, she passed the question on not planning to rob the bank. And she, she, and, and planning to rob the bank that morning. How in the hell could she pass that if she intentionally didn't press the, the time lock, right? I said, show it to me. And he was like, well, I don't show you. And I said, you know what? I said, matter of fact, she's telling me the time lock thing wouldn't even come into play because it was after uh, the time where it would have been released. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, I'm telling you what she told me. So um, you got me hounding her on this one question that, and she's showing deception indicated on it. And meanwhile, during the polygraph process, she comes up with the guy or one of the suspects that kidnapped her and, and, and held her overnight and, and did the bank robbery, you know, and, and she says she can ID him out of the six pack. And I, I, I said, Do you, are you sure you have your facts straight? Well, they'd like to be a little cocky. And I, I think they, they, you know, I, I called them out. I, I called them out. I don't give a shit who you are. I, I don't want to put, do the wrong thing with an innocent person, which is why the story it's going to continue to get crazier and crazier. So they went to confer uh, or call somebody or whatever. Meanwhile, um, uh, the other detectives in the sheriff's office had come up with a, a six pack of the guy. And I said, listen, y'all been questioning her. Y'all been hounding her. Let me go down and show the six pack. But because, you know, you don't want to upset her emotionally. She's, you know, rightfully so, pretty pissed off. I said, I, I don't think she had anything to do with it. I don't know about this time lock thing, the participation part. I said, but let me go down and show the photo lineup and see what we can get. That way there's no, you know, we don't get her. I said, first, and secondly, I shouldn't have tested her because she's been up for 48 hours, you know. Um, but, so let me do it. They agreed. So I go down and shut the door and I sit down with her. I said, now listen, I'm going to show you what we call a six pack or a photo lineup. It's going to have six individuals in it, including uh, their pictures in it, including the one that you said that you positively ID from his facial features and his voice and whatever. 
as the guy that you grew up with, the guy that you went to high school with, that, you know, but, and, you know, I asked her about this guy. It, y'all, I'm going to digress for a second. I had asked her about it, and when when she told me, she said, I just don't know why he would do it. She, he was such a nice guy, and he, he's not a gangbanger or anything, and, and I just don't know why he would do it. Would he? But I swear, I swear to God it was him. I swear to God. And so back to the six-pack. And I said, six individuals, and one of which is going to be the name that you gave me. I said, the rest of them are going to look almost identical to him. I said, so when I do, when I show you this photo lineup, I want you to only point to the person if you can 100% positively ID them. I don't want you guessing. I don't want you making assumptions. I said, sweetie, this is very, very important. I said, if you pick this guy out positively as being being the guy that was in your house last night, duct taping you, kidnapping you, and all that. I mean, this is the bank robbery alone could get him 99 years. The, the kidnapping is life. And I said, so don't guess. I said, I need you to be able to say it with such a degree of certainty that you can get on the, a witness stand and testify in his trial that he was there and he did it. She said, I'm telling you, he did it. I said, okay. So I lay out the the six pack y'all. And the six pack is if you take a, like a, um, a a yellow legal uh, manila folder or whatever they call them, and they, it has a six squares cut in it. And the, what they do is they the computerized printout of the photos come out and there's six and they're evenly spaced apart. And you put this this folder over it where when you put the, the lid down, the only thing that's showing through or the six individuals and they're separated by a strip of manila, if, if that makes sense to you. So I put it down in front of her. I said, take your time. Only say it if you're absolutely 1000% positive. And it didn't take her a half a second. And she hit number two. She said, that's him. That's him. That son of a bitch. I can't believe he did this to me. You know, he's such a great guy. I can't believe he did it to me, et cetera. I said, are you 1,000% positive? She said, I swear on my life, it's him. I saw a part of his face. I heard his voice. She said, it's him, Woody. It's him. I said, okay. And so I said, sit tight. Now go back up and everybody, the feds and everybody's in the room. And I said, look, she picked him out of the photo lineup. 1,000% didn't hesitate. Um, number two and they were like holy shit and of course they had already run the criminal history on a guy not anything significant right and uh, they already had addresses on him etc and people on standby to go what we call swamp donkey him which means jump out of the bushes and and nab his ass but the also they had uh, made up a warrant for his arrest for aggravated kidnapping based off it just just in case y'all you know because this warrants are like in the movies where people can you know search warrants and stuff like that you can get them done in five minutes it takes time it's got to be typed up and, and worded out then you got to go find a judge to sign it back then you had to go to the judge's house okay so i mean it was a process you, you they in livingston parish or the 21st judicial that one judge was on time on call at all time at night so you had to wake that judge up and it's late now 
wake that judge up, go out there, raise your hand, swear the oath, and, and, you know, he reads the probable cause and the warrant, and then he'll sign it or not, right? So they had already contacted the duty judge. They already had the warrant typed up and waiting to see uh, at the conclusion of the polygraph and when we showed it to her, if she ID'd him. And the warrant was for aggravated kidnapping. Shit, it's serious as you can get. And But they had, in the meantime, they had SWAT guys, SRT guys, uh, stay, stay, stashed at this guy's house waiting to get him. So they they split, divide, and conquer. And they go, uh, somebody went and got the warrant signed. The rest of them go to this guy's house. They're ready to pounce. Now, they don't have to have the warrant in hand when they take him into custody. All they have to do is the other detective call him and say, hey, uh, judge just signed the warrant, get him, right? So that's what happened. The male suspect, the law enforcement officials, and there was a bunch of them, and now you're dealing with two different sheriff's offices, state police, and the feds. They go to this guy's house, and as soon as they know the warrant's signed, it's game on, bitches. <laughs> it's called drug him out, handcuffed him, drug him out. Now, I'm still at the office on standby, but they, they the skull drug him out, placed him under arrest. He's screaming, hollering, and, and, and you know, the neighbors coming out looking and all that. And he's like, what the hell? And then you're under arrest for aggravated kidnapping. And he's like, I don't know. And they read him as Miranda rights. He's like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. And then they bring him up to the office and they tell him to just don't say anything. We'll talk to you when we get to the office. And they bring him up to the office and I watch him question him. And he said, told him, he said, last night, you, you know, where were you? He said, I was at work. They said, no, you did an aggravated kidnapping. And then you participated in a bank robbery this morning. He said, I'm telling you, you feel like shit. I was at work. And, and they said, uh, so would you mind taking a polygraph on it? He said, I'll take a polygraph all day long. But I'm telling you, you know, I was at work. So they sent him down to me and I'm going to stop the story here for this week. This is about to get really stupid, but they sent it down to me and in the pretest part, when I started, um, this is what I remember so vividly. And this word gets crazy. They sent him down to me. I'd been watching, but then they bring it down to me and they introduced him. And he's a, He's a young man, probably uh, late twenties, clean cut. He had a little bit of, uh, I mean, pissed offness is what I call it about him uh, until, until he met me. And when, when they brought him in my little office and they said, this is detective Woody Overton. He's going to give you a polygraph. And he looked at me and he went from being cocky to he started shaking and he literally started sweat, started pouring off his head and he's an african-american he was really dark-skinned african-american and i don't know how you describe it uh an african male can go in pale i thought some bitch was gonna pass out when he's looking at me his, his response to me is this right and i'm like what the hell is wrong with this guy and and, and um they said well, you know he's gonna be giving you the polygraph exam and his eyes got wide and, and so sit him down tell him who i am and start the process that, like I told y'all, started on her. And I'm going to tell you something. I thought he was going to pass out. I thought he was going to literally. And I, I said, hey, man, are you all right? You know, I'm trying to do my buddy-buddy thing, figure out where I got to be. And he said, man, all I can tell you is, uh, he said, I don't even know about taking this polygraph. And I said, I, mean, I said, if you don't want to take it, you don't have to take it. I mean, I said, but if you can... Uh, pass it 
uh, I tell people before every test, if you can pass it, take it. If you if you can't pass it, don't take it with me because you're not going to cheat me and you're not going to beat me. And and um, I said well, I can assure you I'm a competent examiner. And if you didn't do this, then you got nothing to worry about. And he was just sitting there, y'all. He slumped down in the chair and he's sweating. And my office was cold. He's sweating buckets. He's looking ashy, and I think he's going to pass out. And I'm going to leave it right there for this week. I'm going to tell you why. But it, the, because the rest of it is it's about this batshit crazy. And it's, I didn't mean to go this long. Uh, but, you know, I don't use any notes. And the Patreon members that are watching me on camera, you know, I, don't, I haven't looked at anything, right? So I don't even like to do two parts, right? Uh, but this one is next week you're going to hear the craziest shit you ever heard. And I guarantee you, I'm not going to make the million-dollar bet now because I know some of you lifers out there like to go crazy on, on Googling the, the cases uh, that I talk about, but it's crazy. Just stay tuned. It's going to be really, really crazy, and uh, it'll blow your mind. So, But that being said, I love and appreciate each and every one of y'all. Thank you. Uh, for listening. Uh, uh, thank you for sharing our, our podcast. Um, without you fans, we wouldn't have anything. And and so, uh, y'all, this is where I have to say all the podcaster shit, right, that I don't really know. Um, please continue to like us and share us. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you go. And I don't know why iTunes, y'all, but it has something to do with the algorithms on where you're at and the charts and where we're always in the top 100, right? Uh, but the more reviews you get on iTunes, the the higher it goes. I don't know why that is because uh, I have a platform list that shows everywhere people download podcasts from, and iTunes is like way down the list, like number six or seven. So, but that's beyond my thought process. But if you can take a moment, leave us a review on iTunes, I'd appreciate it. Our Facebook pages, we have the the, the our private group, y'all, is almost at ninth. 19,000 or 18,800. I don't know. Our real life, real crime, friends, fans, and crew, K R E W E page. If you're not a member of it and you like real life, real crime, you got to go join it. But it's a private group. All you have to do, I mean, it's free. It is ask to join the group and our dream team moderators to get you approved. Dream team moderators, I love you and appreciate you. The best in the world. Yeah, we have a People that moderate that page and almost 20,000 members, you have to, right? We have moderators from um, Canada. We have some from Australia. We have them from all over the United States. who are the best people in the world, and they do it because they love real life, real crime. So thank you all. I appreciate you. But go you go check out that page. It's true crime related, and I'm on it every single day. I answer every every message that's made to me, uh, and, you know, or I try to in a timely manner, but I, I promise you I answer every message that's made to me. So, but it's a lot of tr- great true crime stuff on there. Uh, also, um, we have our, of course, we have a regular real life real crime pages, right? And, and that are open to the public. But then we have the real life real crime lanyard page, uh, which is where you can go post about anything you want to, host watch parties, sell whatever you want to sell, et cetera. But that's also a closed group. So you get, um, you got to ask to be a member of that. And like us on Instagram and our YouTube channel and all that stuff, y'all. All that podcast, fancy stuff that uh, you're supposed to do, check it out. And I appreciate you. 
just thank you for making real life real crime what it is today. And again, I know it's hard times, people. It's hard times across the world. People really are dying, but it looks like maybe we might be turning a corner on this. Uh, you, you small business owners and you employees, the people out of work, hey, man, I get it. Y'all hang in there. And and, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I know we can get through it together anyway. So uh, I'll bring you to the conclusion of the story next week, hopefully the conclusion of it, because it's really detailed and involved. And it really gets crazy next week. So that's it. I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on murder by you. Peace. All right. When I left y'all on false positive, I had already tested the, the bank manager, the lady who said she was kidnapped overnight, et cetera. She picked out a male suspect out of a photo lineup. I mean, instantly picked him out. Said she recognized him as one of the guys who uh, kidnapped her from her home. And when they were duct taping her up and masking her up, she saw through his mask the facial features. And she knows his voice, grew up with him all through high school, knows everything about him, et cetera. And, uh... I mean, she ID'd him. She picked him out of a six-pack. I mean, you can't make that shit up. So they, being the powers that were working the case, right, and, and that was God and everybody. It was the small-town PD where it happened, the sheriff's office in the parish where it happened, uh, Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office, the feds, state police, everybody was in on it. And powers to be scooped him up um, based off of the positive ID from the six-pack. And they get him in, and they bring him to me to polygraph him, right? The question, I watched the question, and he's like, fuck that, I ain't had anything to do with it. The, the you know, he was adamant. Hey, he couldn't see me where I was watching, but he was adamant. He had nothing to do with it. Uh, he was at work. I was at work. I'm telling you, I was at work. When did it happen? Last night? Bullshit. I was at work. Go check my work at schedule, but they didn't do it. Then they decided to bring him to me to polygraph him. Uh, um, let me tell you a little bit about it. A lot of it, y'all probably, just like on the girl, the the manager, she had been up for over 24 hours, and I hounded her on the participation question based off of what the Fed said. And the I was, Now, at the time, I, I was a rookie polygraph examiner. I had just graduated from the school. I had just taken my state board just a couple months before. Uh, I had taken my state board test the written test and passed it and then once you do that you have to do a year's internship underneath uh, under the supervision of another licensed polygraphist that's approved by the Louisiana State Polygraph Board and uh, you have a year to complete 25 tests and then you have to go before the oral board, which is the polygraph board where they ask you questions. But at that time, you have to bring five charts to submit for review. You have to make five copies, one to give to each board member, and they review each one of your charts, and they score it, and you have to present your own score sheet and tell them how it comes out. So it's a real lengthy process. Uh, The shortest they would let you do it in is in six months. And when I started, y'all, I should I mean, I've, I've supervised since then 
over the years at the request of the board. The board has personally asked me to supervise three different internships uh, over the years. One was for the chief of police of Jennings Police Department. One was for a captain with the Baker City Police Department. And one was for a trooper who is now actually uh, on sits on that polygraph board, right? So we're talking over the course of many years. Now, you got to, the reason I'm digressing is because I forgot to tell you in the last episode, I was just a couple months out. When I did, I shot that man, uh, I think it was like two months before this case. That was my first murder confession off the polygraph, right? And he repeated it exactly. And, And he said, Mr. Woody, I shot that man. Mr. Woody, I shot that man last night. So, Remember, I knew just enough really to be dangerous in the polygraph world. And going back to um, the bank manager and hounding her, I was hounding her on that participation question about that press net lock or whatever it was, right? And remember, that I, I went back to him. I said, hey, she failed it, but I don't believe uh, she participated. And, and the problem with it, y'all, is that I had – hundreds of thousands of hours of interview and interrogation before I became a polygraph examiner. And 98.5% of what I do for a living is read people and the body language, et cetera. And I don't even need the the polygraph, right? So, but it's a great tool. It's a great investigative tool. But again, I was kind of a rook at it. And um, it is what it is. So they bring this guy down to me and I, I, again, I separate myself because they've been questioning. They've been hard on him. They swamped donkey, him, drug him, skull drug him out of his house and all that shit. Right? So he's got no love for them. I have to establish a connection and bring him down, you know, get him in. But the problem with this guy was he walks in the door and the, he's fine. And it looked just like he's pissed off, but uh, looked just like he did when they were interviewing him upstairs. And he walked in and they introduced me as Detective Woody Overton, and I put my hand out to shake his hand, and the dude, I thought he was going to pass out. I mean, I've never seen that much color drain from a person. Uh, uh, he started sweating, and it was cold in my little office. When he started sweating and everything, he was like, you know, I, I knew something was wrong right away. So long or the short, I get him in and sit him down, and I made my introduction. I told him who I was. I told him, I said, look, man, just hear you know, about um, this kidnapping last night and this bank robbery. He said, man, I done told them I ain't had shit to do with it. They can go to my work. He said, man, I work nights. And he said, there's like a hundred some people out there and cameras and everything that can tell them I was at work because they told me it happened at 7.30 at night. I go to work at 6 o'clock. I think it says 6 to 6. Uh, he's worked the night shift. And, again, being a rookie examiner, one of the things they teach you, I, I went to the um, the Department of Defense Polygraph Institute School, right, at, at, at Texas State Police Headquarters in Austin. And it's all... Hush, hush. It's, it's, that's the only school that has the government, same one the CIA, Secret Service, all of the examiners use. Um, but one of the things they teach you in that school is don't let a polygraph take the place of a good investigation. This is where I fucked up. Just like on the girl earlier, you know, I, I want to please, plus I want to, you know, get some notches in my belt on the polygraph. 
but he was he was real adamant, man. And and, he, and but he was look, he's there, and he just had slumped down in his persona. And after I explained who I was, et cetera, and look, I had to get him past Miranda forms, the Miranda rights. I had to get him past the polygraph forms. I had to get him past all this shit to get him to talk to me, and it was hard. I mean, so it wasn't easy. But I, you know, I played. I found out what level I need to connect with them on, and I got there. I tried to make him see me as as, as little of a threat as possible, and I just told him, "So look, dude, if you didn't do it, take the test with me. I'm gonna get it right, and you'll be clear, right?" And, and, and uh, but he was so adamant. He said, "And I, I got him to sign the forms." And he said, "I'm telling you, just tell him to go to my work." He said, "Shit, it ain't." 20 minutes from here to go, tell him to go to my work, you know? And I pushed on as a rookie examiner. And, and again, this isn't my case, y'all. They called me in and I started it in on, on the manager, right? And she happened to pick him out a six pack during my polygraph, et cetera. So I really didn't have a dog in this fight personally, uh, um, other than the polygraph angle. But so get him in and sit him down Getting past the forms, and but his demeanor is just—he is sweating buckets. He's just—I'd I'd never really quite seen that on anybody who just wasn't totally guilty, and I couldn't figure it out for the life of me, right? And um, so finally, it got to the point where I got—we went through the medical questions and and all that for me to determine whether or not he was mentally and physically able to uh, take the test, and I had to pass him. I mean, he was a healthy young man respectful young man and he's not a gangbanger or whatever you know i mean he's just he he had a full-time job he worked like uh five nights a week like like 60 hours a week and and it it wasn't a great job i can tell you that he was working his ass off it and i think it was at, at, at a chicken plant where they cut chickens all night um so at the last minute i asked him did he need to take a break before we got into the, the formulation of the questions for the test and he, he wants to take a break. So I left him alone. I went up and I talked to the powers of being and members of all these agencies that are there. And I told him, I said, listen, and I said, why don't y'all just go? This dude is adamant. He's at work last night. Adamant. He's on the security cameras. He, he clocked in right before six. He stayed there. His workstation is, is on security cameras. He's got a hundred and some people that he worked with all night. He had three breaks during the entirety of the night, one 15-minute break, then his lunch break, and then another 15-minute break towards the 12-hour, end of the 12-hour shift, and didn't leave until like after 6 o'clock in the morning, right? And, and I said, but they said, no, 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 let's, let's just polygraph him. And, you know, she picked him out of the photo lineup, which she did. I get that point. But I'm like, I'm thinking by the time I was in there, you know, first of all, you could at least call his work, and but it wasn't my case. You could have called his work, didn't do it. And, but damn sure you could have sent somebody. All you asked, all the guys standing around drinking coffee, waiting on me to run this four or five hour polygraph. How long is going to be? One of them could have rode over to this plant, which is open twenty four hours a day, and checked to see if this guy was at work. Right? If he's at work, shit, then. There's no need for a polygraph. And even though she picked him out of the photo lineup, if he's at work and you got all those eyewitnesses, that's, that's no bueno. It's no good. The um, I'm going to tell you this, too. 
and we'll get into it in some other cases in real life real crime in the future. Eyewitness testimony is probably the most unreliable testimony there is when a person is under that kind of stress. And especially, flip it back, the she had been up for, what, 48 hours or whatever it was when she, um, and I'm taking her back through the case, what actually happened when they, she was abducted from her house. I'm, I'm taking her back through it mentally frame by frame, whereas all day long she had been a suspect, right? And she'd been treated as a suspect. Eyewitness testimony, so unreliable because most people, when they have a gun in their face, you get what you call a tunnel vision, right? And, and I'm saying I'm not saying that it's not good. I'm just saying if if there's a breakdown in an area like that, especially somebody that's under that kind of stress, it, I mean, it does happen a lot. Y'all heard it in, in the other case we did uh, on I Shot That Man. The eyewitnesses... Uh, uh, Picked out the wrong person out of the crowd. That was a shooter, right? Same thing. But, I mean, law enforcement has to work with what they have to work with. But I asked him, I said, again, I said, man, why don't you go out there and just talk to somebody or look at the cameras from last night. No, no, no. Go on and do the polygraph. We already got his ass. We got him on the eyewitness thing. Not my case. I'm with me. All right. So go back in and... I sit down and I told him, I said, look, we got to make up the relevant questions for this examination and relevant meaning the most important, right? And, and so the relevant questions would be, did you sit back up? I didn't have to ask him about the bank robbery, right? He was being charged with the aggravated kidnapping and by breaking into her home, taking her at gunpoint, duct taping her up. He's the one that she eyewitnessed. So that's what I'm asking about. So on a polygraph examination, whenever you can, you don't want to use emotion-evoking words. Like instead of saying, did you kill that man last night? You say, did you shoot that man? It's a little bit different, but it still takes a little bit of the emotion out. Uh, uh, on this case, the I, I asked him, I said, dude, tell me what happened. And he said, I told you. I was shit. I was at work. I don't know what the hell happened. I said, well, let me tell you what they said happened. And I explained to him, I said that she got out of her car at her house on Highway 43 in Albany. He said, yeah, he said, I know her. He said, I went to high school. I've known her my entire life. I know where she lives and everything. I know her family and all of it. And I said, well, she said she got out. And when she went to open the door, that three people bum rushed her from behind, pushed her into her house, put a gun on her started duct taping her up, et cetera. And then I said, dude, she picked you out, out of a photo lineup. She said she she saw your facial feature, features, and she said she heard your voice. And I said, I mean, you kind of got to understand where these cats are coming from, that they, they go, go and pull you on that, right? I mean, it's way beyond probable cause. And he was like, I understand mistakes happen. He said, but I'm telling you. I didn't do it. I was at work. Go pull my shit, man. I'm begging you, just please go pull my shit. I said, dude, I asked him. And he said, I I really did. I, you know, but they want you to take the polygraph. And he was like, so anyway, back to the question. I said, look, I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm not going to ask you, did you kidnap her or whatever? I said, when is the last time you saw her? He said, the last time I saw that girl is when we graduated high school, dude. It's been years. I said, okay. So it's easy for me to ask you on the polygraph, did you see her yesterday? 
was like, yeah, yeah, I, I can answer that. No, I didn't see her. I was at work. I said, well, yeah, it's going to be a yes or no question. Did you see her yesterday? Her being the victim, y'all, of course I used her name. And um, he said, no. I said, good. I said, did you enter her home yesterday evening? He was like, no, I was at work at that time. I said, did you enter her home yesterday evening? He said, no. And I said, did you enter her home around 7.30 or after 7 o'clock p.m.? And, and he's like, at 7 o'clock p.m., I was on the line doing my job. And so got him through the stuff, right? <laughs> and we'll review the questions in depth, et cetera. Then I gave him the, the long explanation how the polygraph works and all that good stuff. And then I attach him to the instrument. I run my practice or acquaintance tests in which I have him lie to me on one out of eight questions. I don't know which question is he's going to lie about. At the end of the test, he's strapped up on this big chair, y'all. The polygraph chair has these long metal arms that are wide where you can put your whole arms on it. And they sit about about chest high. And it separates your arms from your chest or out a little bit. And so when I say I, I attach them to the instrument, I strap them to the instrument, that means you have two tubes that go across your, one goes across your upper chest and one goes across your abdomen, okay? And they measure, they kind of measure breathing, but not directly breathing. Uh, uh, it's, it measures any difference in the muscle movement in, in your intercostal and your abdominal muscles. The second thing, while you, well, you had the arms up on the chair like that is he had, he had two finger plates on. And back then, they used to call it galvanic skin response. Now they call it electrodermal activity. It's skin sweat. That's all it is. The, uh, fancy new words for it, science, whatever. The, um, so that's on one hand, right? And on the other hand is the blood pressure cuff. Not the hand, the other upper arm is the blood pressure cuff. And that is measuring any difference amount of blood flow into that artery, it changes under stress. And basically, when I'm looking at my computer screen, or if you see the old, the old timey polygraph machines on TV where the needles jump up and down, each one of those needles you see it records one of those areas I just told you about, right? But I have the same thing on the computer screen. It's actually more sensitive than what we used to call the old ink slinger instruments. But uh, the top two lines or for the tubes on the chest that you can call it breathing, whatever. So, and it makes like little, uh, little mountains, right? Okay. <laughs> the second line that in there in blue, the second line is, is that galvanic skin response or the EDA, they call it now. Uh, and it's measured on your screen as a green line. All right. And, and then at the, this house at mine up and on the bottom is where the blood pressure cuff is monitoring the blood flow into the brachial artery, you see that. You can actually see each uh, heartbeat of the person. It's measured in little lines. Every time your heart beats, the, uh, you have it, right? So back to the blue lines, the, the pneumos is what they're called, the, the one across your upper chest and your abdomen. That uh, what I, everybody relates it back to breathing is each little mark is a breath. It's an inhale and an exhale. And remember this, an average person takes between 12 to 16 breaths per minute. All right? Reason I'm telling you all this, not to make you polygraph experts because you're about to hear this shit go down. So I went made up the rest of the questions, like I said, uh, for the test. And then the first one's like, are you now sitting down? Yes. 
Why did I ask him that? Because I know he can't lie to me about it, right? It's a known truth. Second question regarding if you saw that girl, whatever the victim's name is, regarding if you saw her last night, do you intend to answer each question truthfully? The answer is yes, right? That's called a sacrifice relevant. And that is the first question in the test. It's not scored. It's the first question in the test. So he hears her, her name already, and whether he did it or didn't do it, but he knows he's being tested about her. Uh, it helps take off the edge for the relevant questions when they come later on. So I asked him a question, did you see her last night? No. And, you know, again, I give him real strict instructions on how to sit and answer. Uh, it's yes or no, don't move the whole nine yards. So then I asked my first comparison question. Then I asked the question, did you see her yesterday? No. Boom. I mean, my I'm sitting there. I'm watching my shit. I tell him that I don't score it as it's going along, okay? But I'm watching my screen trying to keep my poker face. He's he's sitting to my right facing back towards me, but uh, almost he can't see the computer screen, but he could see out of the corner eye if he was watching, he could see my reaction. So I'd have to sit there with no reaction. I shit you not. The okay, so on the on the on the blue ones, the the, the uh, one on your chest and the one in your stomach, the the less you breathe or the less those when you ask the question and they respond, the smaller those get, the worse it is for you. Deception indicated. Uh, his flat line. And then they and on the charts, it's measured in, in uh, five-second interval, intervals, right? So I'm watching it. He, it looked like he died. If you ever see it on, the, on a movie when they had the beating, beating, and it goes beep, and <laughs> his shit went flat. The next one, the green one, the, now, before the test starts, um, when I do that practice test, what I'm really doing is balancing out the nerves and tuning them, their physiology into the instrument because everybody's different. Like some people have more skin sweat than others, and some people breathe different, whatever. It could depend on your body size, et cetera. The green one, you, you set it at your baseline where it's kind of like as smooth as can be, right? And, and when you ask a question on, on the practice test, you can see, or you tell them to take a deep breath and you'll have a little bit of response there. That's some bitch went off my computer screen. It went bam. The light I was like, holy shit, right? And and then the heart uh, that you could see through the arm, through the breaker artery, it went from being flat on the page, but looking at the heart, he's one, boom, 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 boom. I asked him the question and went boom, 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 boom. I mean it took off. Went off my freaking computer screen. Look, it looked like he hit he hit a, the meth pipe while he's sitting in my chair. I'm like, holy shit! And here I am. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a total rookie examiner, but I got a couple months in, and and but I'm like, holy shit! And that I've never heard of this in polygraph school or in all the other tests that I've done or anything. And I'm like, I'm freaking out because I don't know what to do. First of all, and and so I'm trying to bring it back to. Well, I guess people call it a baseline. I'm trying to bring it back down before I ask the next question. Because when you ask the question, they respond, and it's 25 seconds, and your next question kicks up. You have to ask it. You don't have to, but you can make it go longer. But your next question kicks up. And shit, my stuff's all off the screen. His heart's off the screen. His skin sweats off the screen. And the breathing quit. He quit. And I'm, it took me a 
like 15 seconds, I look over and say, hey, hey, I said, hey, man, you got to relax. I said, you got to breathe. I mean, shit, he wasn't breathing. And I said, you're going to pass out. And look, he was sweating and on that metal chair where they had the hands up for the galvanic skin response, I could see pools of sweat coming, literally developed on the metal chair underneath his hand. I'm like, holy shit, man. And I mean, it, it was the larger, okay, let me digress. The, the more response you have from the heart, naturally, the worse for you it is. The larger you have from the skin sweat, the worse it is. And this is the worst I've ever seen. So it looks, to, and the more suppression in the blues, and he, he flatlined, he wasn't breathing at all. And couldn't be any worse for him, deception indicator wise. But I had to stop the test. Uh, just fuck me up, you know. And 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 I'm looking at him, and he he starts to breathe again, and doing all this, and I'm like, oh shit, man. And I said, look, man, you got to relax. And I stopped the test. So you got to relax. So the, the, look, I'm not here to hurt you. Um, you know, we just got to get you through this, et cetera. And you know, won't you just take a minute and and chill and, and breathe and just relax for a minute and I'm going to be back. But fuck, I didn't want him passing out in my chair and stuff and I'd never seen it before. So I actually left and this is like in the middle of the night now. I left the room and I went and called one of the best polygraph examiners in the world. His name is Mark Handler. He teaches all the federal schools. He's a super cool cat. He lived in Kentucky at the time. His wife's a brain surgeon. Middle of the night, but we were tight. And, and we made that connection in school. And then it just so happened that the American Polygraph Association convention was in August that year. So right after I uh, passed my boards and everything, all those guys, the top dogs, came to New Orleans and we threw down, right? So we're podness. And he told me, anytime, day or night, whatever you call me. So I called him and said, Handler. I said, listen, man, I hit this dude's shit. And it just it went off the screen. He said, well, you got you got a deception indicated. I said, I mean, I don't know. You know, and I said, what I do? He said, turn all your settings, your sensitivities all the way down uh, on the galvanic skin response and on, on the, uh, the heart rate. When he said, you got to run it, you got to ask the questions. And he said, you got to believe in your charts. That's one thing they taught us in school The you have to believe in your charts. And anyway, so he talked me off the ledge. I go back in like shit, you know, never let him see you sweat. And uh, uh, I mean, I'm all cool and calm, collect. I said, Hey man, you, you, you chill, you know, you're ready to do it again. He's just, just defeated, man. He's kind of slumped down, sitting in his chair. And I'm just like, I mean, you may get you some water or something, dude. And he's like, no, no, man, let's just do this shit. Let's do this. He said, did they go to my work? Did they go to my work and, and, and see that I had left? I said, I ain't go up there and talk to them. I said, I went and took a, a little break, you know. And he said, let's just do this. Sit down, do it again. They could do what it do. They <laughs> said, test is about to begin. Please remain still. We're good, right? He's got all normal shit. Um, first question. Are you now sitting down? Yes. All good stuff. Next question. Regarding whatever her name is, victim's name is, do you intend to answer his question truthfully? And you always get a little response there. That sacrifice relevant I told you about, right? But it's not score. We're good. First comparison question, I mean, he's got some response, but you're supposed to on that one. But then I asked him that first relevant, did you see her yesterday? Boom. I had turned it all the way down, y'all, and the stuff is still going as high as it can. I'm like, holy shit. 
the, the green line goes off the page, boom, like a rocket shot out somebody's ass, right? I mean, it's, it, it's just disappears. And the heart goes up like he's smoking crack in my office. And it, uh, he just hit a meth pipe with a crack pipe. And I'm like, fuck, man, here we go. And and he quit breathing again. And and I told him, I said, I said, you have got to breathe. And then and he started recovering. So I, I, just, I just pushed through with it, right? Next question, relevant question. Did you see her last night? No. Boom. It, green's gone again. Heart's gone again. Now, again, this is 25 seconds later. And after it went off the first question, I brought him back down to a baseline and asked the question again. So it's an explosion. Worst you could do. I mean, I don't think that you could put a numeric property or a score on how bad this dude's test was. Yes, his sugar had turned to shit. Unbelievably, right? Or maybe it was mine, but, but, but you're going to find out. So anyway, he blows it up. I asked the third relevant question. He blows it up, and I'm like, fuck. In the end, and so I said, the test is now complete. Please remain still. Ten seconds. I wait. Stop the test. And remember, under Louisiana law, for it to be valid, we have to do it at least two separate times, right? Well, in this one, I'm running this bitch as many times as I can because I want proof that I, this actually happened. All right? I never heard about it. Never seen. I mean, I've seen some great responses, you know, uh, but not like this. Let's get into the second test. Now, normally, if a person is deception indicated they're lying, as the test goes along, their score will actually get worse. They will, um, the test begins to break them down mentally. They know that, uh, whatever they're trying to do to make themselves pass or whatever. It's not working, et cetera. But I don't tell them anything. I just, you know, I'm not scoring it. Don't ask me anything. Um, Take it, we're going to rest your arm for a minute. We do it again. Second test, worse. Now I had turned my sensitivities all the way down, and I, and I, every time I asked him a relevant question, did you see her yesterday? Boom, greens greens gone. Heart rate. I mean, I don't know how else to equate. I I don't know how you can make your heart jump that fast without somebody putting a gun in your face or doing some kind of dope, right? And but and he would stop breathing, and I have to tell him I see. You need to breathe and relax. So, anyway, did it again. Take a break, right? Horrible. The worst I've ever seen in, in as far as deception indicated. I'm like, he had to be there. If, if you, you have to believe your charts, right? The polygraph and all this studying I'd done and, and everything and uh, all this hell I'd gone through to get this license. Had to be there. This is better than textbook. And... Wait, I did it a third time. Same shit. Every time I asked him the relevant questions, he smoked it. Smoked it. And look, look, his physical body and deterioration, I mean, by this time, he is slumped down in that chair. It looked like he'd been stabbed or shot. He's slumped down in the chair. His arms are hanging up. I had to tell him several times to pick your head up. I mean, he's just sweating. By, he is drenched. And I let him drink some water in between tests. He's drenched. He's, it looks like he's morally and mentally defeated. I can't figure out why unless he's guilty as shit, right? And then um, I did it however many times, y'all, and it is to this date, and this has been 16 years and thousands and thousands and thousands of polygraph tests I've run. I've, I quit counting it over 3,000, I think, years and years ago. 
all my years as a polygraph examiner, I have never seen someone fail a test as bad as this cat failed it, okay? And so we get done, unattach him from the instrument, and I go out, uh, you know, tell him, give me a minute, but I got to get back into my, come back in for what's the interrogation part, basically, right? We got done, and, and I always ask him, I said, how do you think you did? And he said, and I don't know, I don't know. And I'm like, oh, shit, we might have something here. Maybe, I mean, maybe he's lying about work. He's, his boss man's going to cover for him or something. I didn't know. But uh, so I let him be for a minute. I went upstairs, and all the powers of be were standing around. I said, did y'all go send somebody or talk to somebody at his job yet? No. Waiting on the test. We already got a warrant for him based off of her six-pack. I said, how'd he do? I said, shit, is how he didn't do. I said, I'm surprised the dude's living. And I said, you wouldn't believe, if you knew about polygraph and I could explain it to you, you wouldn't believe how bad he did. I said, it is the absolute worst case of failure that probably in the history of the world. No, no bullshit, right? And in fact, y'all, it was so bad when I got done with this. And, and I'll tell you about the conclusion of it. I got done with this. I actually sent it to the Department of Defense Polygraph School to the examiners and stuff, and they use it as a case file study now. So anyway, they hadn't called to check. And again, they teach you, the government teaches you, don't let a polygraph examination take over an investigation. This the whole polygraph could have been avoided. If he was telling the truth, polygraph could have been avoided by riding your ass out to his work and verifying he's there or not. Detective work. But, but now, I was like the first person polygraph examiner in the area, right? So everybody was using me up in in the the parish where the bank robbery happened and they didn't have an examiner. Uh, the nearest examiner was in uh, Baton Rouge, but he was private. Or actually, Dennis Springs, but he was the chief at the time. He didn't... Anyway, they were using me, okay? So, but I learned after this one, especially the bank manager being up for the 48 hours and them not producing the documents saying about the extended time log and uh, this guy, all they had to do was go check his work records. So anyway, I go down, go back in the room and I sit down I pull my chair close and I say, hey man, you know, I said, look at me. I mean, he's just slumped over. He's defeated. He's looked like he had his ass whooped like a redheaded stepchild. I mean, he's beat the fuck down. I said, hey, man, look at me. I'm touching him on his knees. I'm, I'm trying to make the eye contact, right? I, now, confession is what I do. And I was doing it a long time before I was a polygraph examiner in known form, right? And so I'm, I'm trying to work my shit on him. And, and he, this dude's almost crying. He's looking at me. He said, he said Mr. Woody Overton. And he, that's a, one thing that struck me is he knew my name. or or I mean, we'd only been introduced when he came in the door the one time. But he, throughout the polygraph, kept saying Mr. Woody Overton. And that kind of, you know, threw him back. I didn't think much at the time. He, he just looked at me, slumped down in the chair, and he said, Mr. Woody, I'm telling you, man, I was at work. Why won't you please get them to go pull my shit, man? And, and I said, well, listen, you failed a polygraph. I said, not only did you fail it, you might have set a world fucking record on how bad you failed it. And he starts shaking his head. And then he starts tearing up. I said, can you tell me what you were thinking about when I asked you 
the questions about her. I mean, tell me exactly what went through your mind. I said, shit, I really need to know. And I said, from my professional development, tell me when I asked you, did you see her last night? What popped in your head? He said, man, what popped in your head? He said, man, I'm done with this shit. He said, I just need to go pull my work records. I'm done with this shit. And I, I worked him, y'all. Um, but he kept calling my name. He said, Mr. Woody, I'm telling you, just tell him that, and uh, just tell him to go pull my shit. I said, look, it ain't going to be that easy. Oh, so they fix to take your ass to jail. And then he's really got upset. Uh, I said, listen, it's not my jam, you know, and, and to be honest with y'all. I know what my chart said that he failed like the worst in the history of the world. Dude was too adamant to me about where he was. And he, he said, you know, and please go pull it. Please go pull it. Now, look, he was cooperating because he's figuring maybe he's going to pass the polygraph, I guess, and, and, and be done with it or whatever. But they're taking his ass to jail. I mean, they're closing the case out. And and it winded up. And I, I just finally told him, I said, look, man, you know, I got to I got to rock this test as deception indicated, man. On, on those three relevant questions, you definitely you you bomb the shit out of them. I mean, it, um, I said, but it's nothing personal between you and I. You know, I said, again, I don't work for those cats up there. I gave you a fair and honest test, and I'm not going to sit here all night and try to beat you out of a confession, right? He said, well, I ain't confessing to shit because I was at work. Now, here's what it is. At a certain point, even I know when to give up on it. Now, a really good homicide interrogation, et cetera, when the people have that much at stake, I always say it doesn't even begin until after like five hours of questioning, right? After beating up one, as long as they don't lawyer up. And on this one, this cat wasn't moving. And I went at him for however long. That was a long time. And then finally, I'm like, shit, you know what? It's December the 28th. And I always took off the uh, the weeks between Christmas and uh, right after the first of the year, for deer hunting season because that's when the deer rut where I hunt, right? I wasn't even supposed to be in this bitch. And, and now I've been out there like a day nonstop, however many hours working with the manager and now working with this cat and all that. And I, I just had enough. And and I went up top and I said, listen, did y'all go? It's been another couple hours. Did y'all go pull his work records? Nope. What you got? I said, well, fuck, I told you what I got. He, he failed it. I said, I don't have a confession. He ain't admitting anything. You know, and they said, well, there it is. There you have it. I said, well, the I don't know what to tell you. I said, I honestly don't. I said, it's, you know, the polygraph says he failed it. I guess I got to believe in my charts. That's what I've been taught. And I'm rocking up out of here. Boom. See ya. And so I let them do what they do. And I split. And I left. I left the state. I went hunting uh, uh, up in Mississippi. And... I like to turn my shit off, right? When I go hunting and, and uh, you know, we drink a lot of beer and sit around a campfire, et cetera, uh, maybe tell old cop stories or whatever. But the I wasn't trying to think about this bullshit case. It wasn't even mine. None of this bullshit. I mean, it's not bullshit for the victim, but it wasn't even mine. And let me tell you, <laughs> tell you what happened. I came back, and it was like almost two weeks later, maybe 10 days later. I don't know. One of my first days back, and I'd been off for a while, right? I didn't keep it up. It wasn't my case. Uh, um, uh, I hadn't got caught out or anything else. Whatever they they I had scheduled that time off, and they knew I took it off every year. First day back, I see one of the detectives who worked the case. I say, "Hey, man, what happened? Uh, 
with that with uh, that dude. And he said, that dude didn't do it. I said, what you mean he didn't do it? He said, we ended up going to his work. And he was on camera all night on the line working just like he said he was. They had the cameras in the break room. They had, we interviewed all the people and he didn't do it. And so that y'all in the polygraph world is called a false positive, meaning that I score the test false positive. Now I'm like, there ain't no fucking way. And something I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what it was. I didn't have time to mess with it. I had a bunch of backlog stuff. But let me tell you what happened on the bank stuff, and then I'll tie it up. I'll tie it all up for y'all. And then this will probably be the one of the only th- times you hear me read this because I'm gonna read you the actual newspaper article from back in the day. <laughs> this is crazy. So what happened was the. Uh, I guess I'll kind of paraphrase it for you. The investigation, you know what? I'm going to throw it all out there. I'm going to throw everything but the victim's uh, name, right? The investigation, they, they they got this cat, and they took him and did what they did with him. And But the investigation, they got a tip that it was a teller who used to work there uh, previously at this bank. And just a couple months before, she got caught stealing $3,000 cash. They called her, bring her in, and when confronted, she admits to stealing the money, and she gave it back, and she was fired. That's it, right? So the investigation, you know, as I say, the screets talk, S-C-R-E-E-T-S, and especially, and y'all, I don't know what the exact amount of money that they got out of the vault was, but I know it was a fucking shit ton because, you know, the way the feds responded and everything else, and they never did disclose how much it was and wasn't my case, or otherwise I would have known. I didn't really care. But evidently they got out there on the streets and were blowing money at whatever, and somebody ratted them out. So they started looking at this chick, this this female, and that used to work at the bank off a tip, and the investigation, they rolled with it, right? And not only... Did they find out it was that female, that uh, the teller? They found out it was her family members that were involved with her, and guess who was involved with her? Guess who was involved with her? My guy that I failed on the polygraph. Let me read this to you. And then I'm going to tell you how long they got, because I, I think how long they got is, is, is just personally an offense. Um, read you the actual story. All right. I, you know, I, I'm not sure which paper this is. It might have been the Livingston Parish News or whatever. I don't have that. Um, so I'm giving whoever wrote this, I'm giving you credit. Ponchatoula. Now, Ponchatoula, y'all have heard me talk about it before. It's across the river in Tangipo Parish. Ponchatoula. Four people have been arrested for the December 26th kidnapping of a Livingston Parish woman, according to Ponchatoula Police Chief David Vitter. Y'all, David Vitter was a good dude. He's dead now. He died not long after this. I think that, like the next year. Um, article continues. The kidnapping, part of a larger scheme to rob a Ponchatoula bank, was allegedly planned and executed by a former Central Progressive Bank employee, Kashida Wicker Williams, 24 years old of 64422 Wicker Lane in Roseland, Tangipo Parish, Vitter said. Now, Rosalind, y'all, remember um, the girl, the victim said 
that took her a long, long ways and down a gravel road, Roseland. It's like Hinchville Parish is the longest north-south geographic parish in the whole state of Louisiana, and Roseland is damn near the top. So it's way up there. It's probably it's probably 35, 40 minutes from uh, Ponchatoula. Ponchatoula is at the, at the southernmost end of that parish. All right, back to the article. Kashida Williams allegedly enlisted the help of her brother and two cousins to carry out the kidnapping of the bank's vault teller and to rob the bank, Bitter said. Williams was fired from the Central Progressive Bank after being accused of stealing approximately $3,000 earlier in the year, Bitter said. She returned the money and wasn't prosecuted, Bitter said. Kashida Williams and the vault teller who was kidnapped worked at the Central Progressive Bank at the same time. The vault teller, identified only as a white female, told police she was abducted at gunpoint around 7.30 p.m. and as she got out of her car at her home on L.A. 43 between Albany and Springfield, Bitter said. The vault teller told police she was driven to another location and held hostage in a house until dawn Wednesday, December 27th, when the kidnappers drove her to the Central Progressive Bank at 200 West Hickory Street in Ponsatua, Bitter said. The kidnappers threatened to harm the teller's family if she refused to use her electronic passcodes and key to enter the bank in the vault without setting off the alarms, Bitter said. Three masked burglars entered the bank early on the morning of December 27th, and police believe a fourth man stayed outside in the getaway car, Bitter said. The vault teller told police she was released after the robbery not far from the bank at Ponchatoula's Memorial Park and by 8 a.m. had found a phone where she called 911, Bitter said. Ponchatoula police, the FBI, and the sheriff detectives from Livingston and Tanchapahoa parishes worked long hours searching for the house where the vault teller was held overnight and the work paid off, Bitter said. It required a lot of legwork and interagency cooperation, Bitter said. Last Friday, Kashida Wicker Williams was arrested along with her brother, Daryl Wicker, 20 years old, and her cousin, Leonard Wicker, 18. All three of them lived at the same address in Roseland. On Monday, another cousin, Tyree Wicker, 17 years old, of whatever road in Vernontown Road in Roseland was arrested. Tyree Wicker is believed to be the man who sat outside in a car during the robbery, Bitter said. The suspects have been charged with aggravated burglary, aggravated kidnapping, and carjacking, according to the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. One of the suspects has given a confession, Vitter said. Police are not yet ready to discuss the amount of money stolen from the bank or measures being taken to recover it. The kidnappers also destroyed the vault teller's white 1999 Toyota, Vitter said. It was found burned out in Mount Hermon by the Washington Parish Sheriff's Office. If they are convicted, they will be spending the rest of their lives in prison. Bitter said. The investigation got off on the wrong foot initially when the vault teller mistakenly identified 22-year-old, I'm going to say his name, 22-year-old Hammond resident Michael Winder, W-I-N-D-E-R, as one of the men who duct-taped her, Bitter said. Winder was picked up, and the bank teller picked him out of a lineup, Bitter said. Well, that's not that's not the order it happened in. But anyway... However, detectives soon verified Winder's alibi. Records show Winder had clocked in at his job in the vicinity of Hammond Airport at the time of the crime, and he was released, Fitter said. Well, they don't tell you about all the bullshit that I just told you about, and they could have done that first. 
Now, I'm flipping to the next article. Um, they Basically, what it says, y'all, they got uh, found guilty, all four of them. They pled. They, they, they didn't take it to trial. They pled to this. They each received 10 years on a burglary charge and five years on a simple kidnapping charge. So that would be 15 years total, y'all. Um, but guess what? Those sentences were to run concurrent, not consecutive. And now when they run concurrent, that means that the your whatever the longest one you're in for, like the burger charge, they got 10 years. Uh, it was Judge Zoe Wagusback that they gave it to him. But it's not really up to her. The DA pled it out for whatever reason, and that's cool. But here, here's my issue with it. You're giving them 15 years on paper, 10 years for one charge, five years for the other. But guess what? That five-year charge, is you're serving at the same time you're serving the 10-year charge concurrently, which means when your 10 years is up, you walk, period. Now, let's take it up a notch. The state of Louisiana has good time. For every day they served and they were good little inmates, they get a day off or two days off, whatever it may be. Uh, so they would have been out. They would have been out of prison um, in five years from 2000. Shit, they'd have been out of prison in 2011, y'all. They're probably old people now like me sitting in a rocking chair chilling. But the that's it. And now it is what it is. You, you heard the real truth of the story and, and, and how, always how they presented the interagency cooperation and the, the uh, you know, hurriedly finding out Winder's alibi and all that. It is what it is. Now, let me, before I tie it up, I'm going to say one more thing. I told you that uh, to get your polygraph license the, after you serve your internship, and my, I was supervised by Greg LeBlanc of the Ascension Parish Sheriff's Office. Great guy, since long since been retired. Greg, if you're out there, peace, love you, brother. The, but um, I, you only had, you had to have 25 tests in a year to go before the board. I had but the earliest you go is six months. At the six-month mark, I had like 200 tests. Now, they have people that can't get their 25 tests in a year, and I already had 200 in over a half year. Back it up. I picked, I hand, cherry-picked my five tests to take to the board, right? The, these are the guys and girls have been doing it the longest, and Richie Johnson, may you rest in peace. One of my dear friends who was president of the polygraph board, he was colonel for West Baton Rouge Sheriff's Office, Took me under his wing the years after. Great guy. And the rest of them, and most of them are deceased now that were on that board at that time, except for um, one guy. And he's, to this day, he'll always have my mad respect, uh, Mr. Zulke. But so I gave him, I go in for my oral board. I passed, you know, the, the question part. And they said, let's see your charts and let's score them. So I gave them to him. And I, I put that chart in there, y'all, the false positive. But I didn't tell him what my score was. And every single one of them said, oh, my God, look at this. This is crazy. I've never seen a chart like this. That was this bad. You know, they all scored it. The highest negative score you can get. And guess what? All of them were wrong, I'll say. Again, the polygraph is not foolproof. It's not infallible. Uh, It's a hell of an investigative tool for breaking people down, et cetera. But the best in the state of Louisiana at the time that had been doing it, all of them, 20-plus years, scored the same way I scored it, said that Mr. Winder was absolutely deception indicated when we know he wasn't. 
lesson learned. I never from that day forward let somebody run me. If, if they brought them to polygraph an investigation like this, and I'm like, mm. first of all, the FBI, oh, I, I want to see where she'd impress this time log. Show it to me. If you don't have proof, I'm not asking a question, okay? Um, as far as an investigation tool, when they say, oh, we want you to run this guy, and I'm like, you know, get in there, and it could be so easily verified by going and checking one damn thing, and I wouldn't do it. I would refuse. And and I, but as a, a young rook examiner, I kind of felt forced into it. Plus, shit, I want to do it. You know, I want to help, want to do the test. But that was the false positive. Now, this is where we tie it back into I shot that man. So I come back. Um, and y'all, I was in court almost every day. I, not for just for trials, but the they they would arraign people every day on like um, you know their new charges, and and then you have a motion to suppress hearings, and every search warrant I've ever written, and every confession I've ever gotten, uh, they've all been challenged, right? And why? Because it's a freebie for the defense to find out what you have in a probable cause hearing or a motion to suppress hearing, whatever. So I was in the court every morning, no matter what. And then every afternoon, the morning, the people that made uh, bail, they would come in for their hearings. And then the uh, evening, the people that are still locked up, the real good bad guys, I like to call, uh, that didn't get bonds and shit, they would always come in. And they'd, they would bring them in at 1 o'clock, all the inmates cuffed, and they they march them in. They're all chained together, and they sit them on the front row of the courthouse. I would sit in the jury box. There's no jury I'm in there for whatever, however many subpoenas I have and how many times I have to take to stay in that day to defend my shit, which I never lost any of them. But anyway, when I'm sitting there, and the thing they bring them in, I'm looking over the row of inmates, and I see several of mine, of course, but then I see Darian Armstrong. Darian Armstrong from I Shot That Man, right? Didn't know who he was. Had the wrong person or people under arrest in that case. Did the polygraph on him? Absolutely had no idea he was involved until the confidential informant came forward. Great kid, never been in any trouble, et cetera. And I get him in, run the polygraph on him, and I get him to confess to I shot that man. I see him in the road. I didn't have, they, they must have had like a status conference or something on his case that day because I didn't have a subpoena for him. But he saw me, he started uh, waving his hands in the chains. Now he's chained to other inmates. He's waving at me like uh, that. And then so I go over to him. It's before the judge comes in. He said, Mr. Woody, Mr. Woody, I need to talk to you. I need to tell you something. I need to tell you. I said, sorry. And, and I got the bailiff to come over and uncuff him. I took him out in the hallway. He said, you are not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, you remember Michael Winder that you ran a polygraph on and they, they hooked him up for that kidnapping in the bank robbery? I said, yeah, shit, yeah, I remember, man. I said, I mean... I said, I'll never forget that case because he failed the polygraph as worse as you can ever see. He said, you want to know why he failed? I said, why? He said, I'm going to tell you. Now, even though I got this guy under arrest for murder, I was cool with him. I, I treated everybody with, with respect. And by the time I took him to jail and booked him in, he was thanking me, right? Remember, I got him to open up and confess to me. So we're cool. He doesn't have any animosity towards me or whatever. He said, Mr. Woody. Michael Winder is my brother. Darian Armstrong, Michael Winder. 
I was like, what? He said, yeah, man. He said, we got different, uh, different mamas, but the same daddy. Or it might have been flipped over, whatever. He said, but here's here's the deal. He said, he never had any a lick of trouble, but he came to visit me. He would, he would come on weekends to visit me in the jail, and uh, he'd put some money in my account. We'd hang out or whatever, you know, and he felt bad that I was in prison, and, and I told him my story. He said, I told him that Woody Overton got me to confess. And he said, and he said, man, I can't believe you told that dude. He said, man, you don't ever want to be in front of Detective Woody Overton. He said, I believe he could get the Pope to confess to all his dirty sins. He said, I don't know what that man did. He said, he was a cool cat. And he said, but you're right. I, if I'd have said no, they'd have never had anything. He said, now I'm going to prison for the rest of my life. He said, you don't ever want to be in front of that man. I'm telling you. So guess what happened, y'all? It wasn't however a month or so later, and that probably less than that, he said it was on one of his visitations that Winder gets swamp donkeyed at his house by the police. They drag him in, question him, just tell him they had this eyewitness lineup, et cetera. And he's still cool with it because I was watching it. He was cool with it. And he walks down, and they bring him in my office, and they say, this is Detective Woody Overton. And that's when his eyes went. And he started to sweat because what's in his mind? Oh, my God. This is where, this is the office where this dude broke my brother down. And my brother told me, don't ever get in front of this cat because he's going to get to you to say the nastiest shit you ever did, et cetera. And so that's what happened. And and, and he told me, he said, I, I talked to him after the test. He said, he said, Mr. Woody, he said he was sick to his stomach sitting in the same chair thinking that's where I confessed to the murder at that's sending me away for the rest of my life. And that's all he could think about. Um, and he said, when you asked him the questions about kidnapping that girl, all he could think about is you were going to get him to get a false confession maybe because I told him you were that good. And I was like, shit, man, I don't ever want to send somebody to prison wrong, right? And I said, I, I, said, I admit that I got the test wrong, and, and I'm glad for him. I said, next time you see him, Tell him peace and love and respect, and I'm sorry that I put him through it, but, you know, it won't happen again, right? So those investigators ruined it for the next one who wants to use the polygraph in place of uh, uh, interrogation. But that's how I tied back. Darian Armstrong from I Shot That Man, the murderer. Michael from False Positive. Worse to this day, that case is still used, taught in polygraph school. Those charts, uh, how perfect they were and how bad he felt it. That's it. So there you have it. There's a connection. Uh, and uh, hey, Mike Winder, if you listen to this, dude, I'm sorry you got, <laughs> I'm sorry you got hooked, bro. But it wasn't just me. The girl picked you out, right? And that's why it goes back to y'all. I tell you about eyewitness testimony it can be so horrible at times. Um, that's going to conclude part two of false positive, and it's also going to conclude. This season a Real Life Real Crime. And I love and appreciate each and every one of you. You rock. Patreon members, y'all, this second week in a row. This time I'm doing it from my iPad there. I don't have a professional production company. Um, the patron members got to watch it live. So, y'all, that's the first. I mean, even last week you didn't get to watch it live live. That was the, they, the production company did it. and had to send it in to get it uploaded. So, y'all got to see. I don't know. Uh, if I did anything inappropriate or whatever, but I hope y'all enjoyed it. 
I appreciate you watching. We're going to try to do this every week for patron members. Look, lifers, I love all of you. You can't be a patron member, especially in these hard times. I get it. I want you to know that your money's been well spent, and it really does help the show. Uh, um, so, and y'all, if you get a chance, this is that that podcast shit. I got to say, please go to iTunes and leave us a review if you haven't. I know it's a pain in the ass. I know. They're way down on the list of platforms that people listen to us, but there's a reason for it. I don't know what it is, but if you if you can, just take a second to leave it. It's a, um, a lot of people do, and a lot of people take time to leave us one stars, and some of them are you know, really comical. Uh, um, I don't care. It's a review is a review. So, and Facebook crew page, K-R-E-W-E, uh, Real Life Real Crime, Friends, Fans, and Crew, that private page, y'all. There's a reason I'm pushing this. We're fixing to burn some ass on Courtney Coco's case as soon as Louisiana opens up. I have a plan in my head. I haven't got with her mama and her family about it yet, but I have a plan to move that case forward. But we've got to have those numbers up. Now, granted, we're huge at at pushing probably 19,000 members, but those numbers matter when it comes to the media. So if you can, if you're not a member, Center Dream Team moderators, they rock, y'all. Best people in the world. They're from all over the world. Canada, a couple from Australia, all over the United States of America. And these people, the Dream Team moderators do this. They're not getting paid anything. They do it because they, they love real life, real crime, and they're the best. The They monitor that huge-ass group. I mean, I can't thank y'all enough, Dream Team. I love each, each of y'all. Thank you so much. But send them a request. We'll get you approved. No sweats. Get you in. And that's where all the, the good stuff is. Uh, um, anyway, if you're not, if you're a fan of real life, real crime, and, and you're missing that page, and you're just missing out on it, if y'all, if you're already a crew member, get, scroll up to the top of the page on um, the crew, and by members it has invite button. You hit invite, invite all your people. Shit, if they join, great. If they don't, then that's cool too. The, uh, but we need those numbers. We'll burn some ass, Courtney Coco's. This time's coming. I'm telling you, but it, I have a plan. I have a master plan, but I can't do it without the support of you lifers. All right. This Barbara Blunt's case, things are opening back up. I've been in contact with the sheriff's office twice this week, and we're about to we're about to roll. Okay. So y'all, um, if you can, when you uh, listen this week or whatever, you know, share that Miss Barbara Blunt's episode again. Uh, we can get these COVID can't say COVID has, has totally shut down the tip lines uh, because it hasn't, but it, it has slowed it down dramatically. Although I got a new tip today in Ms. Barr's case. So we need to share that. I'll give them a patron members a thumb up. Share that. It's important. I think Sheriff Art is a fantastic guy. Those detectives working on this case are going to, it's going to be awesome. Now that these corporations and stuff are opening back up. We're going to rock it. That's it. We've got it. crew members and y'all were all that other social media bullshit. I don't know what they are. Twitter, Twitter, and Instagram, and uh, all of the different Facebook pages. Real Life, Real Crime, Lanyap page, uh, the crew page, the regular Real Life, Real Crime page, uh, whatever. I forget them all. I don't even get them. I haven't been to my own regular Facebook page in forever. Don't send me a friend request to that page because I have 5,000. Facebook has it blocked up, so I had to create another public figure page. Send a request to that. I promise you I won't deny you. But y'all, all of y'all that send me the friend request every day, it, I, I clicked accept yes because evidently somebody almost every day defriends me on Facebook. 
but it's, or um, if I can accept you, I will. But you need to do it on that other page. And I don't know what it's had. Woody Overton, Real Life for Crime or something like that. A smile on my page members, y'all, the, uh, on the video. Of course, now the, this video will forever be up two days early on the patron page. Um, y'all, patron members are getting to watch this now. They the, uh, the lifers won't get this until sometime late Saturday evening. So um, we're going to try to bring you more and more content. We have more stuff to bring you. We're going to bring you more and more content. Thank you again. Absolutely adore you. Um, everybody else, love you, love you, love you. Thank you so much for, look, all your little comments and stuff that y'all share and, and, and I read or you message me, I message y'all back. It means the world to me, man. You know, um, I, it really does, and I do appreciate you. I don't think there's a person out there that can say I, I haven't messaged them back or hit them back and I'm, as long as I'm breathing and my fingers don't fall off. Sometimes at night, uh, my real busy times between like 6 p.m. and midnight, right? Sometimes at night my thumbs are about to fall off. But anyway, I'll get back to you. I love all of you. Real life, real crime, the podcast. Next time you hear me, it'll be season five. We'll be rocking and rolling. And I'm probably forgetting some shit, but that's all right, too. Uh, Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on Murder Bayou. Peace. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.